Would you turn your Bible to Acts chapter 5? The fifth chapter of Acts. We've had a great day. God has blessed and just been a joy to be in the house of God all day today, hasn't it? And in a little while, we'll be observing the Supper of the Lord. And that's a fitting climax to the Lord's day as we come together to remember the Lord's death until he comes. But in Acts chapter 5, the first 11 verses, I would like to lay these on our hearts and let's ask the Holy Spirit to guide us be our teacher tonight. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also knowing of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? to keep back part of the price of the land. While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? Why hast thou conceived thus this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and died. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up or wound him up and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, how is it that ye have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them who have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down immediately at his feet and died. And the young men came in and found her dead and carried her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Now, in order to get this picture before us tonight, we have to go back to chapter 4. And I want to read, beginning with verse 33 in chapter 4 through 37. With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there anything among them that lacked, any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them, brought the piece, price of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now with that in the background, Tonight we want to notice a certain man, a certain act, a certain question, and a certain result. A certain man, the scripture says, his name is Ananias and he had a wife named Sapphira. Now why is the scripture giving us this illustration? Ananias and Sapphira were probably 
professing Christians. There is no reason as we read this text to question whether they were saved or not except by their actions. But apparently the disciples felt that they were Christians. They were members of that church, the Jerusalem church. And it had become a custom, though not a requirement in the church, because the love relationship was so precious and so beautiful. And the Spirit of God was working in such a magnificent way that if anybody had any land or a house, they went out and sold it. And they took the price of that house or that land and brought it to the disciples, and it became part of the fund of the church. Now this was not commanded by Jesus, nor was it commanded by the Holy Spirit necessarily, nor was it commanded by the apostles. And there is not anything here that seems to indicate that it was by vote of the church. It was a spontaneous type thing. They were so in love with Jesus that they went out and sold their possessions and brought it and laid it down at the apostles' feet. One of the classic examples was wealthy Barnabas. Nicknamed by the disciples the son of consolation. He was a wealthy man apparently from Cyprus And he sold everything he had Brought it and put it at the Apostles feet. We learn later that Barnabas became one of the great spiritual bulwarks of the church It was to Barnabas's care that Mark was given and years later when Paul and Barnabas and Mark were on a missionary journey and Mark a young man wanted to turn back either because he was homesick or because he couldn't take the strong doctrine or because he couldn't make it or for some reason or another he turned back and when they got ready for the second missionary journey Paul said Mark cannot go with us he deserted us on the first missionary journey it was Barnabas who came along and said let me take Mark and they went down to Cyprus Mark Barnabas's home place we don't hear any more of Barnabas, but years and years from then, when Paul is in prison, he's about to die in the Appian Way in Rome, he writes a letter to Timothy and he says, Timothy, bring Mark, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Mark had been under the influence of Barnabas. That's the kind of man he was. And it was Mark who wrote the gospel according to Mark. Aren't you glad God used Barnabas in Mark's life? Now, this was the custom in the church. It was not commanded. It was not voted. It was a spontaneous reaction. But there was a certain man named Ananias who wanted to appear to be something he wasn't. Now notice the scripture over and over again when it uses that phrase, there was a certain man usually this is a real story the story we used in Sunday school this morning in Luke chapter 16 discussed a certain man who was wealthy and he died and went to hell that was not a parable that was a real illustration here we have not a parable but a real illustration from that early church there was a certain man his name Ananias he had a wife named Sapphira and they had some land now they knew what the custom in the church was that they would go out and sell that land and take the whole money and give it to the apostles I have an idea that Ananias had seen Barnabas got a little bit jealous in his heart about the way everybody loved Barnabas Barnabas had sold everything he had and so 
Ananias said, I think I'll do that. I'll go out and sell everything I've got and I'm going to bring it to the apostles' feet. Nobody told him to do it. Church didn't tell him to do it. Jesus necessarily told him to do it. The Holy Spirit apparently didn't lead him to do it. But he did it. And then he had a conference with Sapphira. And together they connived. Suppose we sell that land for $10,000. Let's keep 4,000 of that and take 6,000 and lay it down at the apostles' feet and we'll come in there and say, here's the money. That's the very thing they did. They brought the $6,000 and boy, that made everybody's eyebrows rise. That was really something, bring $6,000 and they brought it all in there. But Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, Ananias, why have you connived to lie to the Holy Ghost? You see, he had put $6,000 on the altar, but had kept $4,000 for himself, and yet he was saying, here is the price of the land. He was telling a lie. This is when generosity is a lie. That's the certain man. Wasn't long till this man was dead. You see, you can't lie to God and get by with it. You can never sin against God. A Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, can never get by with sin. Some people have said, well, look. Now, now it's, it's wonderful to you Baptists preach that when you get saved, you can uh, be saved and you're saved forever. You can go out and live like the devil and do whatever you want to do and still go to heaven. Well, I want to tell you, first of all, if you're really saved, you won't want to live like the devil. And secondly, if you're really saved and you get out of the will of God, God will discipline you. You can't get by with it. God will spank you. God will whip you if you're really his child. Now, if you're not his child, he'll leave you alone. You may be in the church. Everybody may raise their eyebrows at you and salute you and think you're really somebody. But when you get to the end of the way, you'll find out you were nothing. And everybody else will find out what you were. Nothing. And Ananias lied. And it wasn't long when Ananias heard the words of Peter. Peter said, why have you connived to lie to God? He was so shocked and so moved. The Holy Spirit just moved in on his life and slew him. Do you believe God ever kills somebody? Here's an illustration of a man that God killed. And I want to tell you, God might kill somebody here tonight. You lie to God. You pretend to be something you're not, and then you think that everybody thinks that you're that, when deep inside you know you're not. You're running the risk of God killing you. Wasn't long till Sapphira came in. She didn't know what had happened. Ananias had fallen down dead, and the men had come in and wound him up and taken him out and buried him, and Sapphira came prancing in. I guess she had rings on her fingers and, and maybe eyebrow stuff all around her. We couldn't tell whether her eyes were purple, blue, or pink. And she had all kinds of stuff on, and she came prancing and prissing in, and, and she said, here's the money, here's the money. And Peter said, who has connived you? Did, tell me something, tell me something, Sapphira. Did you sell the land for such and such? She said, yes, yes, it was, it, it, we sold it for $6,000. Peter said, Sapphira, the men that carried out your husband are waiting at the door for you. Just like that, Sapphira fell down dead. And the young men came in and wound her up. And they carried her out and buried her by her husband. A certain man and his wife, Ananias and Sapphira.
Now next, I want you to notice a certain question. As we think about the question, verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? After it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this and done this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. This certain question cannot be understood without considering the certain act. The certain act was telling a lie to make that person look like something he really wasn't. It was hypocrisy. It was sham. Now notice, Ananias and Sapphira did not have to do this. They chose to do it. It was not a command of the church. It was something they were voluntarily doing. Sin is a deceitful thing. Sin is like a cancer that eats away at people's heartstrings. The sin of Ananias and Sapphira was selling a land and then telling a lie about how much it cost and then bringing in part of that and pretending that that was the whole price. And the sin was, had nothing to do with the money. It had to do with the intent of their heart. It had nothing to do with their finances. It had everything to do with the pretense of their heart. Now, God hates sham. God hates hypocrisy. In Isaiah chapter 59, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue hath murdered, muttered perverseness. He's talking to people that had been somebody but they'd allowed the cancer of sin to eat away at their heart strings and their life. I have the impression tonight from the Lord that I may be speaking to people who are right on the brink of selling out to their baser nature. Church members, some of them Christians, maybe born-again believers, who are right on the brink of pretending to be something mom and dad thinks you're something, your Sunday school teacher thinks you're something. Your preacher may think you're something. And other people may think you're something. But God looks on the heart and he knows what's there all along. He knows there's sham. He knows those sins. He knows those things that you do when nobody's looking. God looks. And God does not treat sin lightly. Listen to this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our grace. A man is not to hold his head down because of what he was. There's not a man in this room, not a woman in this room tonight 
who would want everything from your past life flashed on a screen that we'd put up here and everybody would see everything and all the sins of your life would be enumerated and all the things you've done be enumerated. You wouldn't like that. You see, if you've been to Jesus for the cleansing power, all of these things are washed in the blood of the Lamb. They're cleansed. You're washed. They're all behind you. This past week, we had the joy of seeing a man pass from death to life, from, the, from, from out of the fellowship with Satan and with self into the glorious fellowship with Christ. And that man doesn't have to live under the shackles of the past any longer. He doesn't have to have people pointing a finger and saying, look what you are. Rather, they can say, look what you were, but now look what you are. You're a man washed in the blood of the Lamb. You're a new man in Christ. When Jesus comes into your life, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me and his blood availed for you. Christ's blood is sufficient to cover all sin and to cleanse from all sin. But now listen. When you've been cleansed from sin and then you purposely choose to go back to sin and you again begin to live under the shackles of that sin and the fetters of that sin, it's like, it's like being in a chair and being all bound up and having ropes and chains and so on all around you and you're all bound up and these chains are there and then some friend comes along and breaks them all and you're free and you can get up and go and move it's like willingly coming back to that chair and saying hey friend put all those chains on me again bind me up i don't want to be loose i want to be chained and when a man who has been freed from sin goes back and gets under the shackles of sin again he is asking for tragedy. The Word of God says, you shall not, sin shall not have dominion over you. I'm speaking to some people tonight who know Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And you know what God wants with your body. You know what God wants. And yet you say, I'm going to play around over here. I'm going to have my little sex party. I'm going to have my little drink party. I'm going to have my little uh, lewd party and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and if nobody's looking, I'll take some money and I'll do whatever I want to do with my life. It's my life and I'll do whatever I want to do. What I want to tell you, you can do it, but the Bible says be sure your sin will find you out. Just like that. You cannot lie to God. God knows. God sees. I know some people who have been liberated from sin and then they want to go back to an X-rated movie and sit there and feed their mind on all that lust and all that trash and get their mind and their heart and their body all aroused. What do they expect from themselves but sin? If you feed on that. I know some people who have been liberated from sin and yet they go to the rock concerts. I understand there's going to be one in town Wednesday night. I hope none of our young people will go to that filthy thing. To take a stand against it. To say, for Jesus' sake, that's off limits for me. I'm not going to be involved in that because I've been washed. I've been regenerated. I'm a new man. I've been born again. I don't have to feed on the trash stuff that can do something to my emotions. 
You know, every rock concert they've ever had, there's been, there've been sex parties after. Fort Knox, Fort Camel rather, decided a few years ago to have a, a rock concert. They put it in the paper, said, we're going to have it. I read my, I, I said in my heart, oh my God, I can't believe that the United States government would allow such a thing as that. Oh, they said it'll be chaperoned and everything will be great and everything will be wonderful. They had the thing and they had to call out some of the troops and some of the mess that got in down there. They were ashamed. They're not going to have any more, I don't think. And I'm sorry that thing's coming to Bowling Green. I hope nobody will be involved in it. And I hope God's people who are called by his name will say, Lord, for Jesus' sake, I will not be part of a thing like that. And I want to tell you, if you don't take stands like that, you may be a lying man to God and your influence may die. You may kill yourself spiritually and you're going to ask for that which will dull your mind and rob yourself of spiritual power. And so by that degree, you kill yourself. You put yourself in a place where you die. You say, preacher, I don't like that kind of preaching. Okay, I didn't really ask you. <laughs> I love you anyway. But I want to tell you, that's what God told my heart to say. And God's people who are called by his name need to take stands in days like this and, and be separated from the world. Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and then I'll receive you. I don't understand. I, I love preachers. God knows that. I love them with all my soul, heart, mind, body. I do. I think I'd do anything for a preacher. But I want to tell you, I don't understand preachers not having any backbone, not having any conviction, not having any stand. I understand there's a church in town that's about to vote on taking the liquor thing out of the church covenant. That part of the church covenant that says something about we'll not be involved in the sale of alcoholic beverage, they're about to take that out of their covenant. I don't understand that. I want to tell you, men of God, some of you have been called to preach and you're in this room. Hate sin. Take a stand against it. If they throw you out, thank God for suffering for Jesus' sake. Just take a stand. Don't be ugly about it like I am, but take a stand against sin. I hate sin. And you know what? I don't believe God wants our people to cuss. I don't believe God wants his people to cuss and swear and talk dirty, say hell this and damn that. That's not God's will. God doesn't want us to be filthy-minded. And I want to ask God to forgive me for saying those words in this pulpit, this sacred place, but I want to tell you that isn't God's will. And if you go on doing that and saying, I'm a Christian, I'm going to live like I want to live, I'll do anything I want to do, you're running the risk that Ananias and Sapphira ran. The certain question why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? If I had three or four hours tonight, I'd like to talk about the sins against the Holy Spirit that are mentioned in the Scripture. In Matthew chapter 12, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, grieving the Holy Spirit. 
In 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, quenching the Holy Spirit. The precious paraclete, the Holy Spirit of God is our guide, our leader. When he leads us to do things that are righteous and right for God, for Jesus' sake. When he leads us right on, straight down the King's Highway. When I begin to renege, hold back on him and say, no, I don't want to do that. By that degree, I grieve the Holy Spirit of God. When a person first gets saved, the first thing God wants him to do is to pronounce his faith publicly. Let everybody know it, just like Jeff did this morning. And just like uh, Joe did this morning. And then the next thing he wants him to do is to follow the Lord in baptism. Let everybody know that Jesus is in his heart, like Joe did tonight. And when we begin to renege on God and say, I know what God wants, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do what the Lord wants me to do. Then we begin to grieve the Holy Spirit of God and quench his power in our life. And he can't use us like he'd like to use us. Why has Satan put it in your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Why has Satan done this thing? Listen, adults, if we could even dream for a minute all the pressures that young people face today, we hear about it. We read it in the newspapers. We're a little bit aware of it, but we have no idea how close young people are to the pressures that they're faced with. You see, our society sees nothing wrong with free sex. You just do anything you want to do. If you love her, you can go out with a girl and you like her, well, you just go on and do whatever you want to with her, and she does whatever thing she wants to do with you. And, and, you, and it's okay, it's all right. And if, if any accident happens, well, you can take care of that and have an abortion. Do anything you want to do. Make any difference. And there's even a law now that says that a teenage child can go and have this done, and mom and dad never know about it. That's right. I will tell you, young people are not prepared with that, for that kind of liberty, but I want to make an appeal to adults. First of all, we need to understand what young people face today. We need to understand what they're facing. The temptations, the liberties, the freedom, the looseness. We need to face that. We need to know it. And then we need to pray. And we need to live a God-filled life, a God-fearing life. And we need to, to live the kind of life that will let our young people know that if they should get in trouble, we still love them, but we don't love their sin. We hate their sin. And young people, listen to me. If you're saved, if you're a child of God, and you live just any old kind of life, oh, the scars you may have to bear, the tragic scars you may have to bear, I look at Dr. Lee, Robert G. Lee. You know what happened to him lately? Dr. Lee was in Memphis, in uh, Texas somewhere, preaching in a revival meeting. The pastor took him back to the motel. He got, in the, got out of the car and went in the motel and got in, his, in an elevator to go to his room, and there were two thugs in there, and they knocked him down and beat him up. Next day, the pastor wanted to take him to the hospital. Dr. Lee said, no, I'm not going to go to the hospital because I'm going to preach tonight. He preached. 
When I think of Dr. Lee with all the strength and power, mental ability at 90 years old, you know what I think? He didn't dissipate. He didn't throw his life away in courts of carnal pleasure, as he says. He stood for God. He stood for things that were righteous. He lived a life that would count for the Lord. And all those years, God has blessed him and blessed him and blessed him and blessed him so that he's not feeble-minded. He doesn't have a big forgetter. He gets up and preaches the Word of God. He reminds me of Moses. Now, God wants young people. God is going to make you responsible for what you are at 80 years old. What you are when you're 60, 70, and 80, you're making right now while you're 15, 20, and 25. Who, why did you let Satan put it in your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Now, suppose we have made a mistake. Suppose we have flubbed the dub. Suppose we have messed up our lives. What are we going to do then? Is it all in vain? Is it all over? No. Thank God for a second chance. We serve a God of a God of a second chance. A God who loves us. Who says, I, that wasn't my will. It wasn't my will for you to get all chained up and bound up in that sin. But I love you. I love you still. And I'm willing to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The last point of this message tonight is a certain result. Look in verses 5 and 6. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and died. Great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Numbers 23, 20, 32, 23 says, Be sure your sin will find you out. And in Hebrews chapter 10, the scripture tells us about the end of judgment. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment suppose you shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant with which he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite under the Spirit of grace. It's a terrible thing to fall under the judgment hand of God. If we will not listen to the heart, then secondly, God sends somebody to us. And I think part of God sending somebody to us also has to do with God sending somebody to us to get us in church where we can hear the Word of God preached and the Word of God speaks to our hearts and we are responsible for what we do with it. Now, if we'll not listen to what God says to our heart, if we'll not pay any attention when somebody comes to us personally, then thirdly, God has to let the pendulum of judgment and discipline begin to swing in our lives. Dr. Bills, financial problems, home problems, rebellion. Do you know that God planned for boys and girls to love mom and dad, mom and dad to love boy and girl? Do you know that God planned for teenagers to love their parents and parents to love their teenagers? 
Did you know that among the Jews today, there is no teenage rebellion? Because the teenagers in Jewish families are taught to honor mother and father. Mom says, darling, will you do this for me? No, I don't want to do this thing. You're old fuddy-duddy. I'm going to do what I want to do. Well, God says he's going to bring judgment on you for that. You're not going to get by with that. One day you'll have a daughter that will do the same thing to you. I've been in this church long enough to know, and I'm not, I, I, I just want to tell you about from observation, I wouldn't dare let you in on some of the secrets of my soul. They'll go to the grave with me, some things that people have told me, and I'll never mention them, never say a word to them, but I've been in this church long enough to know, and I've worked with people long enough to know, to see young people who defied their parents and treated them like nothing, and now they've got children, and they've got parents, kids that treat them, treat them like nothing. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You don't get by with it. You may say, well, that's just a raving and ranting old preacher tonight. Yeah, God put these things on my heart to warn you because <laughs> I love you. If I could, I'd reach back there and put my arms around every one of you and just love you. I love you. But God will not let you get by with sin. You dishonor mom and dad, and one day you'll have kids that'll dishonor you. I'm sure some adults sitting here tonight can remember some sad, tragic things in their own past background. But you honor mother and daddy. Even though that mother and daddy don't love the Lord, you honor them, you respect them. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Don't ever do something they say not to do if they know what they're talking about spiritually. Now, I want to tell you, when you give your heart to Jesus Christ, I believe you have a higher loyalty to Jesus than you do to your father and mother. That may not be a popular teaching, but I believe the Word of God teaches that. When I was saved, my father thought I was too young to be baptized. He told me I shouldn't be. I said, Dad, I love the Lord. I believe I must be baptized. I was scared of water, but I knew that's what God wanted me to do. So I went on and did it. Dad lived to see the time he was sorry he had said that to me, and I love him. He's now departed. But I tell you, I think there are times when a young person has to take a stand for God. I don't believe it's God's will for a teenager to have to go to a liquor joint and get a bottle of beer for mom or dad. If I were a Christian teenager and I was told to do it, I'd say, I'm sorry, mom and dad, I love you with all my soul, heart, and mind, but you go get it yourself. After I got saved and became a teenager and got some convictions, my dad smoked. He wanted me to go get him cigarettes and tobacco, and I said, Daddy, I, I'm sorry, I just can't do that. I love you. I can't do that. He never did understand that until later he quit smoking. I want to tell you, you have to take some stands, but be sure your stands are consistent. Don't you say one thing and then be something else. I don't know when I'm going to quit. Pretty soon you hope, don't you? But this scripture says there is judgment coming to a person who lies to the Holy Ghost. You can't get by with it. And I want to ask you tonight to say, Lord, here's my life. I don't want to be hypocrisy, a hypocrite. I don't want to be filled with hypocrisy. I don't want to be a fake. I want to be what you want me to be. 
I've told you the story before about this Christian in our county who used to be faithful in church, live for God, taught Sunday school. And then, and then, liquor came back into our town. They opened a restaurant. They began to sell liquor and they began to open it on Sunday. Preacher came by to see him, said, you better close your restaurant. Oh, we've got to make a living. And all the preacher said, you don't have to make a living. You just have to be faithful to God. Oh, we've got to make a living. You know, we're having a tough time financially. Can't already make it. One day that woman who had been a Sunday school teacher, now a backslider, called the preacher and said, oh, preacher, come quick. Come quick. The preacher went. Her son had been out on Barren River and the boat had capsized. Two buddies went down in death. That woman shrieked to the preacher, Oh, preacher, oh, preacher, my son's dead. He's in hell and I sent him to hell. Oh, what'll I do? What'll I do? Why didn't I listen to you? She was a Christian. Six months went by and she took a revolver and destroyed herself. You don't get by with sin. You don't break God's laws, you get broken on them. Be sure your sin will find you out. This is an appeal tonight to be somebody for God. If you're really something, be it. Don't be a fake. Don't be like Ananias and Sapphira who pressed in and said, here's the money. And all along, they knew they were lying because they had kept back. You see, people have said, here's my life, Lord. And they walk down this aisle and they say, here it is. I give it all to you. And they take it back. I take it back. I take it back. Give your life to Christ tonight. Let him have it. Let him use it for his glory. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, you know what the glorious gospel is? The glorious gospel is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And God went to the cross that day in Christ with you and me in mind. And he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. He died in our place that we might be saved. And if you're willing to trust him and love him and live for him and serve him, he's your savior, free free gift and if you've trusted him as your savior why not come and confess him as your lord let everybody know i'm taking my stand for christ if you're already saved and you've had problems in your spiritual life and you need to get deeper with god or you need to make some breaks with the past and burn some bridges in the past why not come tonight and say lord here's my life i i want again put it on the altar for you may we pray every head bowed and every eye closed please Our Father, we thank Thee for the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. God, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, has also arranged a plan whereby saved people could have spiritual power to live for God. We pray that some will tune into that tonight and will say, Lord, here's my life. I give it to You. I love You. I want to live for You. Oh, God, have Thy way tonight. 
I pray that you'll give spiritual power to some who have already trusted Christ and need to step out for you. Then, Father, some who need to begin life all over again, what a joy to know that there is a, a way to begin life again. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Have thy way tonight in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. We're going to sing, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Now here's the invitation. Listen, tonight can be a beginning again in your life. Isn't it wonderful that a man doesn't have to live under his past? But he can say, Lord, here's my life. I want to give it to you, and I want you to take me and break me if necessary, mold me, make me. I want to yield myself to thee. Would you do what Christ leads you to do, tells you to do? If you're not saved, it is the will of God that all men repent and turn to Jesus. If you are saved, it's the will of God that you confess Christ openly as your Savior and Lord. If you're a Christian, it's God's will that you walk close by the heart of God. Will you do what he leads you to do? While we begin to sing, who will be the first to step out for the King, Christ Jesus? Will you come for Jesus' sake?